M and K Talk YA now presents Gemina Part Two from the Illuminae Files by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I am Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the second book in the Illumina Files, which is called Gemina, and it is by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. I still want to call it Gemini, even though we've talked about how did that's I say not, it right no you did say it right oh, but okay. I was like I just like heard it and it made me be like oh yeah that's what it's called again <laughs> no you did it right yeah. I didn't okay. call you out on anything <laughs> no because I always think of like the zodiac and like oh Gemini twin particle I got this yeah but instead it's actually some other particle that means the universe is about to explode that's what a Gemini <laughs> it is falling apart yeah <laughs> bad things are happening oh man this book got like so crazy at the end yeah it was kind of weird and I don't know that I liked it really oh I'm interested I mean I enjoyed story like I enjoyed reading it in the story but again it sort of felt kind of like in the first book you know how we said it almost was too happy with how we found out that Ezra wasn't really dead Oh, yeah. I kind of had a similar feeling here when we found out that Nick, or our version of Nick or whatever, wasn't really dead. And Ella wasn't dead. That one shocked me. (laughs) Oh, me too. I was certain that she got eaten by the laminate. Yeah. Although the third time I thought she died, I didn't really think she died. That time I was like, nope, she's fine. Well, that one was crazy because Jackson just came in. Yeah, where was he in between when they were (laughs) in the reactor or whatever it's called in that moment? I knew I knew he was just out there and I knew there was gonna be something because I knew that like action speak louder than words comment was gonna come back around, but I yep. just like kept waiting for him to show up and then he finally he was like did. Cassius from Red Rising. He went missing for like a hundred pages. Yeah. Comes down, shoots Ella, shoots the Mel, shoots Nick, shoots Hannah for choosing Nick. And I was like, oh my god. He's just taking out everyone. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't buy that part. I I felt like that was a trick when we read it. Yeah, because not. I mean, everyone can't die. And at that point, yeah, at that point, I was just like, okay. We knew at that point that parallel universes exist. <laughs> no one dies in this book that we care about. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but that was that was yeah quite the adventure. I really was excited that we got to see the multiverse theory again in like parallel universes because we learned so much about that when we did our Shades of Magic discussion. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of sad because I was like, oh, that would have been such good research, but we already did that research. So if you guys want to learn about parallel universes, go listen to our episodes on Shades of Magic because we covered it all there. I was going to look up something about wormholes specifically because that's where we are situated with the Heimdall and this wormhole thing. And that appears uh-huh. to like be related to this multiverse theory a little bit. But I read a couple of things and it was way over my head and I didn't find a version for dummies. So <laughs> The exact same thing happened to me. <laughs> I, I learned a few things about wormholes that I felt I could relate without sounding like a complete idiot. Ooh, do share. Well, okay. This is also combined with my research on alien life that I honestly don't know if I'm going to share either. But <laughs> 
share, don't share, we'll see. <laughs> it was basically like, what is, I was like, what is a wormhole? So it's like, basically they're bridges through space-time and they connect two different points in space-time, theoretically creating a shortcut that could reduce time travel and distance. So that's why they're saying if they close off the wormhole after they've gone through it, they'll be like so far away that they'll never get back in their lifetime yep. because there's no shortcut yep. anymore. Okay. Right. And they also said that theoretically wormholes could exist, but they've never found any evidence that they do exist. And basically like for a wormhole to be created, there's so many contradictions. It's They think it's pretty much impossible that they'll ever see one. And also I guess... I guess primordial wormholes, I don't know what that is, but they're predicted to exist on like a microscopic level. Hmm. Um, so that's another issue. And then I guess they're also compl- like crazy unstable. So they collapse at the drop of a hat. Well, that was kind of my other question because it seemed like it was a really big deal when we were just doing regular maintenance on the wormhole. And then they're like, <laughs> let's just send 24 <laughs> soldiers, have them take over a ship, put this wormhole back. I just, I kind of was like, that seems a little risky. And even with their full team, their engineering team was what, three people or something? Yeah. And even that they were like, what are you doing? It takes forever to bring a wormhole back, in li- back online. You're not following any of the procedures like of course this is gonna go badly and when you got this unexplained virus which yes i get that it's singing a song so it's probably not super harmful but you never know like what it's messing with yeah yeah oh my gosh yeah i just watched we were talking about black mirror i finally watched the one where the um the kid the high school kid downloads that virus on his computer and they oh yeah what uh, they can't get a video of him or whatever yes and he they like go in that wild yeah goose chase where he they make him rob the bank and everything oh my god I watched that last night and then I was like I have to just go right to bed I can't I can't do anything else because it was so upsetting I know like I said I I really like this show it's very thought-provoking and interesting but I have to like mentally prepare to watch it and then take a break afterwards I can't watch yep. multiple episodes in a I can binge watch a lot of things not Black Mirror not that one. Oh no but it made me think of this just because like there's this computer virus and I don't know it made me like not want to touch my computer for a long time <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I do anything bad on my computer. Let me let me <laughs> clarify that. Well, I mean, let's be real. The worst things I do with my computer are Google things for this podcast, and I do not clear <laughs> my browser history or do it incognito, so it's already out there. And I then talk about it publicly yep. via this method, so. Oh, man. Okay, so where do we want to start with this discussion? I don't even know. <laughs> Usually when it's good, we just start at the end because we're like, that's where all the action happens. I know. And especially because it's a second book. So we know, you know, things, there's a third book. So, okay. We didn't even really talk about this at the beginning. This one is set up. The first one ended up like the overarching why all these documents were gathered was it was being sent to Bytech mm-hmm. or specifically, what's her name again? Leanne Frobisher. Yes. Frobisher. This time it seems like she's on trial for all the mm-hmm. stuff that goes down of which the first two books are a part and probably whatever happens in the third is also a part right and she's maintaining that she knew nothing about the attack on Carenza she was just like cleaning up after that Taylor guy who was in charge during the attack and she's like well I took over after that so I didn't really know anything that was going on and people are like mm-hmm right sure we believe you but this is also Ezra's mom or is this a different yes. 
Okay, so why is Ezra's mom sending things to go make sure Karenza's killed? Is this supposed to have happened before she found out Ezra was alive, or do we assume that she doesn't care about Ezra? I think it's before. Okay. Yeah, because that would be super messed up. So she's on trial after... I think it's like after everything. Okay. Okay, so hypothetically, or not hypothetically... I don't know why I said that. Book one happened. Book two happened. Mm -hmm. This information from book one got sent to her after the events of book two concluded. She went to trial Mm -hmm. sometime after that, and that's when the information from book two was compiled and shared with this. I wouldn't be surprised if um, the events of book three take place, too, before all this goes down. Fair. Before, like, the trial and everything. Yeah. I I agree, because I think whatever this is is bigger than these two things. And I'm guessing it's related. And honestly, I hope so. <laughs> I think we have one obvious missing piece still, which is Ooh. what's still going on back on the planet. Yeah, because they seem really concerned about like we need to, or Leanne Furbisher is like we need to get back to Carenza to wipe out all remaining survivors. Yeah, and something has to be happening there after the attacks. Yeah. Like, I want to see what's happening with the survivors there and what they're doing to And I'm curious survive. if any of the other people we know still have family back on the planet. Because, yes, it was being bombed and stuff, but it, it was, the initial impression was that it was just going to be a takeover of that planet. So it wasn't, like, kill everybody. Or maybe it was supposed to be kill everybody, but based on this other it's thing, there's probably, like, three 12-year-olds who saved the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if Ezra's dad is still alive, maybe. I know, I'm curious about that. Well, you know what I thought was going to happen? What? So, I just saw the movie your name have you seen that i have not which one is that Ugh. it's like it's an anime it's it's about like the there's a boy and a girl and they spontaneously change bodies where like he wakes up in her body and she wakes up in his body and it, and they don't know why it's happening and then they piece it together and it honestly like i cried at three different parts of this movie Aww. because it's so beautiful and it's about time travel and like they have to find each other and they're both existing in different planes of time but like parallel to each other and it reminded me of this book so much because of when like Katie or when um Hannah and Nick are like existing side by side and there's that split second where like they see each other in the parallel universes mm-hmm. and it, it it just reminds me of that movie so much but then I was thinking what I really want to happen in this book is I want them to go through the wormhole and somehow go back in time and prevent the attack on Carenza Ooh, now that's an interesting, interesting idea. Because then everyone would survive. And then that would even, you know how at the end they're like, we did the impossible. Because they're like, if you really survived Mm -hmm. all this, how did you get through? And it's like, if they prevented the attacks in the first place, then... Yep. Interesting. That's what I want to have happen. And it's all because of this movie I watched, Your Name, which you should absolutely go watch. Okay, I will try to find time for that because I have lots (laughs) of free time. If you have time and you just want to cry for, like, two hours. <laughs> to have an excuse to cry for two hours? Perfect. I feel yeah. like sometimes I just want to cry for two hours. No, I'm just kidding. My other theory, or related thing. So I, I think that we're going to go back to Carenza or see what's going on there. or Because if we go through the wormhole and the thing is shut down, where else are you going to go? Right? You have to go back yeah. to Carenza. And I, then my other thought is, you know how Katie's dad kept asking about her mom, her, and her cousin? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I kind of think, like, we've got one cousin on the second book. Maybe we'll get the other cousin. And maybe Katie's there'll cousin. be, like, some connection between the two of them. That's my other thought. Ooh, I hope so. That would be kind of cool. Because it makes sense that we would have, like, maybe two new characters in the third book. Yeah. Because we had two new ones in the second. True. We had, yeah, we actually had a lot of new characters when you think about it. And then I'm also yeah, curious, because we still have a couple of the 
what's the whole the biotech crew the space pirates we still have oh, a couple the of the pirates. space pirates who have <laughs> safely made it through the wormhole as well i'm curious to see if they end up being good guys or bad i was laughing because remember when i was crushing on um naxos antonio uh-huh or at least just this picture in this book, someone refers to him as a towering lump of doll-eyed muscle. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, do I know how to pick up? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know where this, what the space pirates are going to do, the remaining ones. But I loved, I loved, 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 loved whenever Parallel, Parallel Nick and Parallel um, Hannah both have to fight Falk or Cerberus. I really liked that you got to see that side by side. Yeah, it was kind of a cool way to tell the story. But again, I just think it's almost too convenient that, like, in Universe B, if you will, all three, Ella, Nick, and Hannah die. And in Universe A, it's like, oh, but they're all okay over here. And and somehow, miraculously, the alive ones can just transfer over to the right universe. Exactly, and, like, yeah. Be all and now they're all fine, yeah. But I also, I loved when Aiden was talking to both of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, so that was how we were seeing the parallel stories, and you'd kind of see, like... A lot of it was the same, and then a couple of phrases were different, or a couple of details were different, or sometimes huge chunks were different. But seeing him keep the conversation going on both sides, or then getting confused about things and stuff, <laughs> it was kind of fun to have him trying back. To with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I really love when Han- when I think it was Katie was trying to bring him on and she- bring him back on, and Sierra Bull was like, "You've got to be kidding me! We are not bringing this psychopathic robot." online. Okay, but you know how she talked about, what was it, the Pascal? Pascal's wager. Wager. Okay, because it's like a game theory thing. Mm-hmm. So I, like, did the same thing as a young child once. Oh, really? Not knowing that someone else had already done it for real. But I remember, like, being pretty young and thinking, if there's multiple, like, versions of God to believe in, I might have already told you this before, but I should believe in the mm-hmm. least forgiving God because just the way I was raised, the God that, you know, I was taught about was like a forgiving God. So I was like, if I don't believe in him and he's the right one, he'll forgive me. But if I don't believe or like worship the evilest one and he's right, then he'll punish me. And it's like in my best interest to believe in the least forgiving God. And I remember like, really smart of you, (laughs) but it kind of fit it. Like when they were explaining this paradox, I was like, this is exactly what I was talking about. It was kind of the same idea. If you're wrong, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. If it exists, then like the benefits of believing far outweigh the benefits yeah, of like, not why believing. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, it's why it's it's like a true if... game theory thing. It's say you know like mm-hmm. if you do like the little square, and on the left and right you have God exists, God doesn't exist, and on the top and bottom you have believe and don't believe. It's like if God doesn't exist, regardless of what you do, nothing happens, basically. Yeah. And if God does exist, if you believe. In his version, I think it was, you know, you go to heaven, and if you don't believe, you go to hell. Do you want to spend eternity burning, or you know, <laughs> on the? But it's also like cool. that just made me laugh too because it's, they made it sound so easy, like oh, just just choose to believe. It's like wait a minute. <laughs> That's why like those probability games are always so interesting. It like reminded me, you know, like the prisoner's dilemma. Have you heard about that one? Oh no, what's that? So you have like two co-conspirators, and you're trying to get them to both confess to a crime. If mm-hmm. one of them confesses and the other one doesn't, that person is free, the one who confessed, and the other one goes to jail. If Ooh. they both confess, they both go to jail, and if neither one confesses, neither one goes to jail. Okay? Oh. Okay. But given that situation, you're always, individually, you're better off 
confessing, but as a group, you're better off if neither one of you confesses. So it's kind of like an interesting game where the perfect situation for the two of you would be neither one of you say anything. But yeah, if if the other person doesn't say anything, then you should I, like it's just it's just another if you do this square thing, you find yeah. that like you're better off in every situation if you if you confess. squeal. Yeah. Oh. So it's just I don't know, but I used to like love that like game theory probability stuff was like my nerdy thing that I was into as an industrial engineer. I love it. I wish I knew. I wish I had looked at more of them. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll look some up for a future future okay. discussion. But I did really like that concept, and I was pretty proud mm-hmm. of my younger self. <laughs> that you came up with it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Independently, without even knowing that it was I'm, a thing. I'm basically a young Pascal, if you will. <laughs> You're like, yeah, a young Einstein. And meanwhile, like, I can't figure out wormholes. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't figure out the wormhole thing either, but yeah. Um, speaking of, I guess, prisoners and confessing, do we want to talk about Nick's past that we finally learn about? Yeah. Oof. Well, I'm glad he didn't kill that girl. Oksana, yeah, me too. But what a, what a terrible person. Like, what a absolute piece of trash human being his dad is. Yeah. I'm curious what really? how old his brother was when he did all that. 14. Okay. I guess they said it at some he point. He was 14. Yeah. And he's just, and yeah, trying to, yeah. Ugh. Be a man. Ugh. That just makes me want to vomit that his dad was like, gave them the address of the guy who ratted on him and was like, you know what to do. It's time to be men. Ugh. It's just the worst. It's the absolute worst thing to tell a child. Yeah, and it's just... it's Especially, like, a boy. You especially know? from your dad. Like, what are you... You yes. know, you don't... Yeah. And also, what really got me was when Nick took the blame and then his brother killed himself because he couldn't live with the guilt and then confessed to allow Nick to get out early. Mm-hmm. And then what really got me was... When Nick got out early, his dad threw a party. Yeah, for, like, getting away with, yeah. After his son killed himself out of guilt. Yeah, they're definitely a messed up family oh. there. It's actually kind of amazing that Nick is how he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's good that he, his uncle took him on board to kind of get as far away from his dad as he could get. But it still concerns me that he says the only way out of the House of Knives is essentially first. death. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, his uncle Oof. doesn't really sound like a good guy either. He just didn't do this specific... Who knows if he would have done, like, the same kind of thing if he was their dad, right. you know? I mean, he's also part of this gang. He's also up to no... Was up to no good. And, I mean, Ella seems pretty good. But you also saw that he cared about his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And she, at one point, even says, I think it was in the first half, she was like, I know he was a bad man, but he was still my dad, and I still loved him. Yeah. Yeah, that has to be incredibly complicated. I wonder if we'll see any more of them in the third book. The the knife. What are they called? House of Knives. The House of Knives. I'm sure we will, because I feel like some something has to happen where he gets released from them, or, I don't know, something. But I guess his uncle's whole teammate team was killed i think i think him and ella are the only two left right now in their group but the question is were there more on carinza probably right i'm sure yeah yeah. so slash did they come back into our universe who knows we'll find out yeah Um, there's some messed up families and then there's a lot of just sad families like we still have a lot of people who died (laughs) 
I know. I know. Especially when um, I really am excited to see Katie and her dad get reunited. Yeah. And I really hope that happens. Because when they were, like, trying to prove that it was her and she was had that conversation where Hannah was, like, mediating between them, mm-hmm. that was, like, so sweet to hear them talking. But I just really hope that they get reunited. Yeah. I agree. I'm trying to think what else. Well, okay. I want to go back to... So when we were talking about leaving the House of Knives feet first only. Oh, yeah. This isn't actually why I started this research, but it reminded me <laughs> of some of the research I did. So okay. Um, the other kind of interesting part in this, which shouldn't have been surprising to anyone, is that there was this drone fleet that was headed toward Heimdall to kill off the, everyone else to make sure there were no witnesses, even the 24 people who were good, right? Mm-hmm. It was like the insurance fleet. Yeah. Basically, robots can't tell tales or whatever. You know, you, you can trust it. So I actually yeah. looked into the witness protection program. <laughs> oh, I don't know how I like got there. I was, I think I was looking for like destroying all witnesses, and then like I don't know. Then I just kind of oh oh I'm so curious. went into this whole thing, and then also kind of thinking about the trial aspect of it. I looked up this is on mentalfloss.com. Twelve secrets of the witness protection program. <laughs> so should we be revealing these secrets? They're not like. <laughs> how to find out who's in it or something like that but yeah and we have like 200 listeners so so we're good (laughs) this is where it changes (laughs) hopefully they're not all looking for witnesses in the protection okay it'll be the cia who starts listening next well one this actually was from a different article i read i'm not i don't remember which one but one kind of interesting fact was the witness protection program actually started in the u.s and it's only like 40 or 50 years old like we other countries have since developed some version of it but it really was started in in the U.S. And it was originally kind of created to help people leave the mob and turn on the mob um, because okay. kind of back to this idea of the, the House of Knives, if you squealed basically on the mob, they would kill you. That was, you know, like, yep. so. Yep, first rule. Yep. Don't be a snitch. <laughs> so I think one kind of funny point, which probably isn't super surprising, but I feel like in movies and popular stories you hear about someone who is completely innocent who like witnesses something on accident or you know gets caught up in the middle of something and they're like the ones who get put into witness protection mm-hmm. but there's an it's estimated that less than five percent of relocated witnesses are completely free of any wrongdoing and most of them are actually are like actual criminals who are in some kind of deal okay. and trying to protect themselves and I guess there was this police chief back in 1995 who was complaining about Maine being a dumping ground for criminals in the program because so many of these witness protection people were getting sent there and (laughs) some of them still continue some version of criminal activity or whatnot and they're not necessarily the police aren't necessarily informed but fun fact if someone in the witness protection program commits a crime against you the government owes you retribution so you won't know that they oh. were in the witness protection program necessarily, but <laughs> if, if that should happen, just an FYI. <laughs> they also don't actually give everyone completely new names, so usually they'll keep their first name or even their initials. That seems, well, yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be so hard to adjust to a completely new name. Yeah, that makes sense. You think, or especially if it's like similar sounding or something, then you would, like I barely respond to Kathleen, which is my official birth name ever because I've never called it right and so like yeah. and that's like actually my name so can you imagine if someone was like calling you something completely different you like wouldn't react 
Can I tell you a quick a quick story, yeah, super fast? Yeah, please do. So my aunt and uncle love this story so much. So when I was 13, I went on a road trip with my aunt and uncle and my little cousin. Mm-hmm. And we drove like across the like western part of the country. It was great. But they had these family friends that we wanted to stop by and see. My aunt and uncle are just super fun people. And my cousin and I were really young. And, and we, of course, didn't know these people. And we were like, ah... You know, we weren't super excited about it. But, and so they were like, okay, what if we just changed your name just for a few hours while they're there? Like, they didn't know who I was. They were like, we'll make up a name for you, and you can pretend like that's your name. And, you know, we're only going to be there for an hour or so. It won't be a big deal. So I was like, okay, that'll be fun. So we picked a new name for me. What was your new name? And I, Elena. Okay. I don't know why. And we ended up staying with them for like eight hours. A super long trip, a super long visit with them, and they were absolutely lovely people. But the entire time, I had to pretend like my name was Elena. And at one point, the woman was like, "Oh, that's such a beautiful name. How do you spell that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, E, uh, L." And she must have thought I was a complete idiot. But then, like for years, they would write my uncle and be like, "How's Elena doing?" We're so- like it was so lovely meeting Elena and then they ended up passing away and like they went to their grave thinking I had my name was Elena instead of Marissa so are you feeling guilty about this still a little bit (laughs) (laughs) well this is a little very different scale but I once went to it was like Starbucks or something where you give your name and they write it on the cup and you know and we decided to use fake names because why not and so I said my name was Sahithia, and they asked me how to spell what it. What did they say? I don't know. Wait, what did you say? They, I said Sahithia, and they asked me how to spell it, and I just looked at them like, I have no idea how to spell my name. And I, I don't, I, yeah, it was really embarrassing. They have to get that all So the time. I think the moral of the story is when using a fake name, make sure you can spell it. Yes, that is absolutely the moral of the story. And don't get caught in a lie. It's so and they actually they do talk about that in this article about how they have to have children practice writing their names when they are put in a witness protection. Oh, that's smart because yeah. like you have to have a new signature and uh, it's not easy. I also read so back in the seventies and eighties. I get okay. So the witness protection program, like the official name, also because I, I keep kept getting confused when I was reading this is either the Federal Witness Protection Program or the Witness Security Program, WITSEC. Mm. so WITSEC but they they'll give you you know new social security number new driver's license new birth certificates and they'll give kids new school records and I guess people would try to get their kids to get better grades on their school records but they weren't allowed but there were some other kind of perks if you will for some of the people who went into this so former mob mm-hmm. hitman Aladina Fratiano requested and got the United States to pay for his wife's breast implants facelift <laughs> and dental work Oh, God. And just like... Oh, wait. She got breast implants to, like, become a new person? Well, I guess somehow they talked them into it needed to happen as part of their cover, I guess. Disguise? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then this is also kind of crazy. So there is this guy, Thomas Leonhard, who in the early 1970s, um, his ex-wife had married a protected government witness. And although he had had visit 
Tatian writes to visit his children because they were in the witness protection program and were given a new location and identity. He wasn't allowed to see them. Oh, no. So he filed and was granted full custody, but they still refused to disclose the girl's location. And so there was just like kind of all this crazy stuff. So now it's still difficult for ex-spouses to see their children who are in the witness protection program, but... I think you have to get permission now. A non-program parent with visitation rights must now agree to have the child relocated. But Wow. But also, like, you're not going to be like, oh, my kid's possibly in danger. Don't put them in the witness. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about that. But not being able to see your kid. I know. That's what I mean. Like, wouldn't you say, yes, go, I don't know. I don't know what you would do. Or you'd be like, let me join them. (laughs) Let me go hang out with my aunt. Yeah. Oh. Let's see what else. So although I did say that some criminals commit more crimes, actually the rate, it's like better than rehabilitation for people who, yeah, over 80% of criminals who enter the witness protection program don't commit another crime, which is significantly better than like rehabilitation statistics. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. I always wonder like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I feel like I would accidentally tell someone. (laughs) I know. Well, and you're not allowed, if you get married, you're not supposed to tell like your new spouse oh there's no way i would have one glass of wine and it would all come out yeah i would be terrible at this too they'd have to relocate me so many times although i feel like i probably say a lot of crazy stuff a lot of the time so maybe people would be like oh that's just one of kathleen's funny stories for many lies that she (laughs) supposedly no witnesses have been killed according to the u.s marshal service as long as they follow wow so all of them have been successful as long as they follow the rules But there was this man who relocated from San Francisco and then returned in 2006 and was shot to death. And the 17-year-old girl who testified against a notorious gang got a new identity, contacted some of her old associates who were still part of the gang to come try out her hotel's hot tub and then was killed. (gasps) And they came and and killed her. Yeah, but also, how dumb do you have to be? Hey, come check out my new hot tub. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not a good thing. I mean, I'm not saying she deserved it. Maybe she thought. They were her friends. I guess. Oh. Yeah, there was another story. Daniel LaPola was a witness who decided to ignore the program's warnings and return home for a funeral, and his home was rigged to blow to pieces as soon as he turned the doorknob. <gasps> what? So, I mean, these people, you do have to, like, make reach certain criteria, basically, to enter the witness protection program. So, usually, you are in serious danger, you yeah, know? serious stuff. You're test- and you also have to be, like, an important enough witness they're not going to ask you to testify in one of these trials if mm-hmm. you know you're not credible and you're not like the best person to be a witness and you know all those other stuff. Wait, I, I I'm still reeling from that story about the, his whole house was rigged. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of details, but that's what it said. That is terrifying. What if it was like the mailman or something? I know. Who, off like, how do you know who's going to turn the doorknob? Like, hopefully he comes right. home for this funeral. I don't know whose funeral it was. Oh my god. That's terrifying. Okay, yeah, so the percent of criminals that reoffend while in the program is between 17 and 23%, which is around that 80% number don't that I said before. But the rate mm-hmm. of parolees who return to crime after prison is somewhere between 40 and 60%. So instead of 20%, it's like two or three times higher. So when you're relocated, mm-hmm. do they tell your employer? No. Well, I don't know what they tell the people left behind. No, I mean like your new employer. I don't think so. So they give you a certain amount of money. I think it's like 60000 for a few months, which for some people is a lot more than they make in a year anyways. And... So yeah, so the U.S. Marshals will help you find a reasonable job opportunity or provide vocational training and help you find housing. 
and they usually receive subsidence payments of $60,000, but you have to be actively trying to seek employment, and eventually the payments stop. Okay. But another funny thing is your debt stays with you. Oh, okay. So, like, the bank knows who you are. Well, they don't know where you are, but you still owe them money. So, like, creditors might not be able to find you, but, like, you're not off the hook. (laughs) Yeah, but if they can't find you... I know, I mean, yeah, so that, you know, whatever that means. Do you think you know anyone who is in the Witness Protection Program? Uh... Like, I always wonder that. I'm like, I wonder how many people around me... Or that I may know or may work with in the or or like lead dual lives or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like probably not very many, if any. But I also know so many people, so maybe. Yeah, just like I feel like the odds are at least one of them is over eighteen thousand federal witnesses and their families have been provided safe harbor in exchange for damning testimony. Whoa. And the government spends upwards of $10 million annually to keep the program going. That has to be so hard. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is a selfish question. But if you had evidence that would, like, put away a really bad criminal, like, would you do it knowing that your all your life, your entire life was going to be uprooted, you would lose contact with all your friends and all your family? I know it's the right thing to do, but... I wonder how much harder it is with, like, social media and stuff now, too. Yeah. To really cut ties and whatnot. But, okay, so trials involving WITSEC have an 89% conviction rate. Okay, but again, we're talking about, for the most part, we're not going to be the people who are in witness protection. Like I said, it's usually it, it was initially yeah. for people who were, like, trying to leave the mob and help turn on people in the mob, you know? Yeah. So And yeah, usually it's people who true. are somehow at least partially involved in criminal activity. So okay. given that, we maybe it's safe. worth it. You know, you kind of get a fresh start. You, yeah. You've seen some bad stuff go down. I don't know. Oh, that's so interesting, though. It is interesting. Maine. Who would have thought Maine would be, like, a huge state for witness protection? I feel like Stephen King would like that. And I don't know if it actually is a huge state or if this one police chief just happened to get a bunch of criminal, you know, or whatever. Like, he just might have been saying that. But it is kind of funny when you think about the fact that these are criminals who just were like, here's some money. Here's a new identity. No one's going to kill you. Come back and talk Mm -hmm. in court in a little bit. This is how it was started, though. So before the establishment of an official witness protection program, no one could get mafia members to speak against the leaders in court because they would be killed. But it was in 1963 that Joseph Valacci became the first person from the Italian-American mafia to break the code of silence, and he testified to a congressional committee about how the mafia works. Whoa. During that time, he was guarded by 200 U.S. Marshals because there was a $100,000 bounty on his head. So he was the first person to be offered protection in exchange for his testimony. And I guess... He must have spilled so many secrets. He spent the rest of his life in protective custody in prison, afraid to eat food prepared by anyone but himself. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean... Well, a lot... Not a lot. You'd be so paranoid. But some of these people in jail can be protected. So even a criminal can become a witness because of connections people have in jail or whatever. They'll be put into protective custody in jail. And then they're part of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, not the authority of the U.S. Marshals. So there's kind of different layouts of what that means. But usually you're just... You're at least separate from the general prison population. And supposedly there's other perks as well. And I hope we never have to find out. Some states have their own program. Oh. So basically, if you, like, observed 
street-level crime or something the government's not necessarily going to intervene, but different regions will have kind of their own version that offers some form of relocation and protection during the months leading up to or immediately following a trial. So Detroit has Project Safeguard, which provides lodging and food through private funding, and Baltimore has or is considering a similar program. There are There is just, in general, this idea of you don't want retribution for a crime you've committed. You know, sure. Or for a crime you're and you, talking about, seeing, witnessing. Yeah, and it's worth all that if you get information that will help you fight crime. You Especially know? as it seems excellent criminal masterminds want to get rid of all witnesses, even the ones that are getting rid of the other witnesses <laughs> and whatnot. So, it, and it was kind of interesting. I, like I said, I looked it up originally because I was really intrigued by these drones coming back to kill off the witnesses and I went down a rabbit hole of oh, stuff yeah. but thinking also to to Nick's family and what they talked they were even talking about how no one in the gang has ever testified in court before this book or this you know oh, that right, Nick right, was right. the first person and stuff so it, it was kind of interesting to make those multiple connections I really love the visual of Kennedy arriving and since it's all AI it's just completely dark oh, yeah they don't need light. That was yeah. so creepy. They don't need light. Ooh, can you imagine that thing coming after you? Um, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. There were there was a lot of like cat and mouse in this book, and I love that kind of theme. And I like um the scene where Hannah has to fight Callie, mm-hmm. and it's like this one on one. I kind of wanted to see the she... other universe's version of that scene because she died yeah. in the other universe. But yes. I agree. Right. Oh, that's right. That's how Hannah died in the other universe. Yeah. And Nick survived. So I'm curious if mm-hmm. she bent down to pick up the notebook instead or if I know. something else. I changed. bet that's what happened. Because yeah. he was like, realized it was the last thing that she had from her dad. But I'm also curious because Nick doesn't have the same background, but I guess, I don't know. Anyways, I, I just, I think that would have been one of the cooler scenes to see the two universes of actually. Mm-hmm. But, oh well. And also, like, the Lanima, when they were, like, hunting the um, people on board. And and I think I, it was the AI that was talking. And it, it was calling them girl prey and boy prey. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, that was so creepy. It was, yeah. And I, and I didn't realize... No, go ahead. Back to your thing about the cat and mouse thing. I did like how, again, very connected to the first story. And there were some similarities. But it felt like a very different kind of adventure because it was all you know there there were like physical bad guys on the ship and physical fighting more so than just like the hacking and all that Mm -hmm. stuff from before and the you know we had the alien predators instead of the disease and we like it was kind of cool that there were a lot of similarities but it really was a different a really different story at the same time I agree and it was it was more physical it seems yeah like oh I like that page when the Lanima attacks and it just says it strikes across both pages. Yeah, when it was inside the guy's and helmet, right? Oh. Oh yes. I'm also so if you kill the Lanima and it hasn't eaten your brains yet, are you okay? <laughs> I think okay. so. Because Jackson got attacked. Yeah. We haven't talked about Jackson yet. But all right, for quickly yes. though, how did the Lanima get stopped? Because I I read I read about them and then all of a sudden they like weren't a problem anymore and I totally missed how they got stopped or neutralized or whatever. So the group went to the reactor, the bad guys went to the reactor to kill them after they found Oh, like the, the nest. nest. And that's why when Callie followed Hannah and Nick, she actually abandoned her team. She was supposed to be helping oh. destroy the Lanama. So they hadn't spread out that much though. I, I think guess. the only one who had spread out was the one that 
And also remember they called them all back. The runs. Because they like attracted them. Oh, that's them. right. They made the noise. Yeah. They made the noise. So I think I was I think I was kind of a little bit of both. I was a little bit confused too because part of me was like, are they going there to find Nick and Hannah? Or is that just a coincidence? I don't know. I was a little bit confused by that too. But I think that that team lost a few people but also killed the rest of them. Okay. Because I remember them luring, them luring the creatures with noise. Yeah. And then mentioning something about grenades. But then we never really saw it, so... And I think that's why the rest of them didn't follow Nick and Hannah because I think they were like, we need it, we need it, like this is a bigger problem. (laughs) And I think the reason they were looking into it was because you know uh, Falk or whatever his name was had realized that they were on the ship as well after he saw after it struck. And and Jackson got away. And that oh that thing at the end with Jackson was just so he did die right yeah because okay. someone had to someone stay had to behind, stay behind to manually volunteered. control the wormhole and not not and only that like, but he gave a fake story to help cover yes. their yeah that was crazy and a pretty detailed fake story like talking about mm-hmm. her forehead that's where I used to kiss her and then I shot her there yep like to your point the whole thing with your actions speak louder than words totally came back around because mm-hmm. he was like I never meant for all of this to happen I didn't intend for it to go this far and so he really did he redeem himself I think I actually I do feel bad for him because I really don't think he would have signed up for this if he knew where it was headed which yeah. doesn't really excuse it but I don't think he's as bad a guy as he ended up kind of the role he ended up being in and I actually think he'd be one of the characters I'd be interested in a short backstory like a short story about him before the events here maybe even when he got recruited or when I don't know something like that but I totally agree that would be really good to hear because he didn't I mean I don't like I feel like that was an appropriate ending for him like I'm not gonna miss him really but I do feel like he kind of got stuck in a bad situation a little bit and he could have handled it very Mm -hmm. differently at certain points but he could have shot them all really like yeah he could have actually shot them all yeah and I mean volunteering to stay behind knowing you're gonna die I mean that is pretty heroic and I do think he sincerely cared for Hannah at first I thought he was just using her and maybe it did start out that way but I think at the end he really did yeah but that's just so confusing she's gonna have some psychological issues to get through there as well yeah (laughs) I mean I would think I would need to but what like a brilliant idea to like send this fake report to think to make Furbisher think that she's safe and to give them all time to compile this document yeah it's brilliant it really is it I mean it is and I mean yeah again it goes back to this like no witnesses left thing it's like uh if he hadn't disappeared for an hour I might have even bought his story a little bit more if he had been on the bad guy's side more in between but yeah if we saw him doing like more evil things yeah I agree well okay so my research this week I really liked that one moment when they were talking about the wormhole and I think it was was it Sarah Bull who wrote her whole like dissertation on wormholes and like the theory of relativity and she was actually really excited because they were actually able to prove the multiverse theory Mm -hmm. and it was because someone made a mistake bringing the wormhole back online and they mentioned briefly like it also had to do with that rod right the rod that was stuck okay the the hermium rod Mm -hmm. there was like a whole host of things that just happened happened to line up perfect or yep. terribly, depending on how you look at it. Terribly. Because, yeah, I, I didn't mention that. Um, and they briefly mentioned penicillin, that penicillin was invented by mistake. And so I was I researched other inventions that were made by mistake. I actually did like that, that too at one point. Really? <laughs> yeah, but I didn't focus on it. So tell me some of them. Okay, so the one that I thought was really interesting was um, artificial sweetener. Okay, 
So this is by gizmodo.com and businessinsider.com. So um, Ira Remsen and Constantine Falberg, they were they discovered artificial sweetener, and it actually it happened accidentally in 1879 because there was a chemistry research assistant, Constantine Falberg, and he was working on developing new food preservatives. And he actually he spilled some of the compound accidentally on his hands, and then he didn't wash his hands before eating, which I feel like if you're a chemist, that should be something you do. Yeah. But he didn't. I feel like, yeah, that makes me nervous. Super <laughs> nervous. So he didn't wash his hands, and he had some of this compound on his hands, and he noticed that everything he ate at that meal tasted sweet. So he was also eating and with so, his hands, not silverware. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, he was having a burger that day. Um, so he retraced his steps, which also was like, how do you retrace your steps? Do you just eat everything that you were working on that day? <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that works, but he finally found out that it was this compound that he had in his hand, and it was saccharin. Okay. Became the name. And also, just because it tastes sweet, wouldn't you also be worried about what else it was doing? You know? Sure. Like, it's not necessarily <laughs> just, safe for yeah, consumption. Just, just because, because it, it tastes, tastes good. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I thought was interesting was his partner, Ira Ramson, did not get any credit for it. Aw, poor guy. Yeah, and they like published their findings together, and only Falberg's name made it made it onto the patent. So I think we it's important to mention Ira Remsen because he later was quoted saying, "Falberg is a scoundrel. It nauseates me to hear my name mentioned in the same breath." <laughs> oh man! So did so did he also get sweetener on his teeth or on his hands? Or okay. I don't know. That's a good question. How much did he um, risk as- for his discovery? Is my question. That's true. <laughs> Which one was tasting the compounds to retrace their steps? He should be yeah. recognized. Um, but aspartame was also discovered similarly, and it was by a guy who was working on new drugs to treat ulcers, and he had a compound on his hand, and he licked his finger to pick up a piece of paper and realize that it tasted sweet. That's funny. That reminds me so. of the only one I remember reading about was post-it notes. It's also funny that we both stuck oh, to that yeah. line about penicillin a little bit because I definitely wrote it mm-hmm. down at one point. I was like, inventions that were made by accident. But the, the post-it note one, which you might have even more information than I did, but whoever, whoever it was one. was trying to discover a strong adhesive, like a really strong glue or something. Oh, wasn't it for like a site for a... Probably. Event? I don't even... Oh no, that was super glue. But he accidentally discovered something that was weaker than everything else that existed, like the back of a sticky note. (laughs) And he stuck it when he put it on an object. He you could pull it off without leaving a mark. But it was like years later that one of his colleagues put it on a piece of paper to mark his place in a book or something, and that's where the sticky (laughs) note came from. But I just thought that was so funny. It's like you literally did the opposite of what you were trying. I'm trying to make a super Uh adhesive, and instead I made a sticky note. <laughs> I'm a very weak one. Well, similarly to adhesives, the guy who invented hook and loop, otherwise known as Velcro. I always forget that that's uh, not its real name. <laughs> yeah, I know. George Demastral, he was a Swiss engineer and he was out for a walk with his dog and noticed that burrs were sticking to the dog's fur and to his socks. I mean, this is great. Like, most of us would just pick the burrs off and throw them away. He picked them off and looked at them under a microscope because he was so interested in why they attached. Mm-hmm. And he observed that they had these tiny hooks. These burrs were made up of tiny hooks that would stick to the fabric and fur. And he began experimenting and came up with hook and loop. And then NASA popularized it. I think it's so cool that people do that kind of stuff. Who just was like, let me whip out my microscope and 
you know, do some experiments. Like, that's so cool. I feel like people did that all the time in the olden days. Probably not true, but that's just what I imagine they used to do for fun. <laughs> well, because they didn't have social media and Instagram yeah. to, like, Yeah, if we didn't them. have the internet. The internet is ruining millennial, or millennial, I don't, I don't know. know, something what about millennials, the internet, and how science is dead. <laughs> Insert here. <laughs> there, there's something there. Wormholes. The end. <laughs> Okay, this is kind of cute. So chocolate chip cookies were invented because... On accident? How do you accidentally invent? Okay. On accident, yeah. So Ruth Wakefield. So she um, was trying to make a batch of regular chocolate cookies and was out of baker's chocolate. So she just broke semi-sweet chocolate into small pieces and added them to the dough, and she expected them to melt and make chocolate cookies. But instead, the little pieces didn't melt, and... That's how they say chocolate chip cookies were born. But there's also a different version of that story. George Bauscher, who was the head chef at the Toll House Inn, he claims that there was bars of Nestle's chocolate stored above a shelf and that there was an electric mixer below it and the vibrations from the mixer dislodged the, cho- dislodged the chocolate and they fell into the mixer, which caused the chocolate to be mixed into the dough. Interesting. Do you know what I'm stuck on? I didn't know you made chocolate cookies that way in the first place. Oh, by melting chocolate and pouring it into the batter? I mean, that makes a lot... Like, I'm not... I don't know why I'm... I'm like, (laughs) I could do that. I mean, I... You could. I guess I know I could make all kinds of cookies if I actually tried, but I'm like amazed by this idea. Like it's that easy to make chocolate cookies? Wow. Or yeah. Although I don't even like chocolate that much, so I'll just stick with banana cookies. Maybe go watch, go watch the Great British Baking Show and figure out how to make all that. I like the second story better though. That's kind of funny. All of mine are food. So potato chips were invented by George Crumb, who was a chef at a restaurant. And I guess in 1853, a customer kept sending back his fried potatoes because he kept saying they weren't thin enough and they weren't crispy enough. And so the chef got so pissed off at this customer that he took the potatoes and he cut them absurdly thin and then fried them until they were rock hard <laughs> and the customer loved them. And, and then he just stopped being mad and, and was like, how... ooh, I should. <laughs> yeah. I love these. That's funny. I also like the name Crumb. He sounds like someone who would be get mad. Crumb, George Crumb. He sounds like a grouch, right? <laughs> I like that you looked up mostly food stuff. The only one I that's not is Scotchgard, I guess, too. So Scotchgard was invented by Patsy Sherman. She was the chemist for 3M, and she was trying to develop rubber that would not deteriorate from exposure to jet aircraft fuels. Okay. And she dropped this compound on her shoe by accident and then noticed that the rest of her shoe became dirty and stained, but this one spot remains bright and clean. Oh. And so that's how she discovered the stain-resistant compound known today as Scotchgard. That is pretty funny. It's also just funny, like, what you... So that was my research. ...notice, and then you're like, oh, let me, you know, figure out... Retrace my steps. Yeah, what, what made my hands sweet? What made my shoe, that one spot on my shoe, shiny? What made... I'm just... I need to be more discovery <laughs> But think about all the times when it weren't real bad. Yeah. Or, like, the things people... Let's, let's try eating this. Maybe we'll see. research that next. People killed by their inventions. Yeah. <laughs> that's a thing too real quick because we're running out of time what was your favorite scene i think it would have to be one where they're in the parallel universes and like things are happening at the same time like i think it'd be kind of cool if i wanted to see it visually to see how they sort of showed them doing 
mirror things of each other but not quite exactly the same i think that would be cool yeah what about you me too i really want to see the fight between callie and hannah oh that would be good too and the elevator scene where she uses her jumpsuit to save the day yeah that's that's those a good be one. My i do scenes. it's another one of those like skills that i probably wouldn't have i think we talked about it last time i would just mm-hmm. fall off that elevator or something i would splat uh we have one more book left in the series yes we do Obsidio. Obsidio. Do you want to tell people where we're going to read up to? Yes. This time it's about halfway, and as you all know at this point, it's hard to kind of describe where we're stopping. So this one is a side view of the Mao, M-A-O. It's one of the ships, and it's just kind of like a diagram side view about halfway through. So read to there. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Obsidio. So I'm going to read the book description on back. I haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious. Me either. I usually try to read it before so I can practice saying hard words. Oh, that's, I should start doing that. Well, we can give you a redo if you need it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can, we can edit. Katie, Ezra, Hannah, and Nick narrowly escaped with their lives from the attacks on Heimdall Station and now find themselves crammed with 2,000 refugees on the container ship Mal. With the jump station destroyed and their resources scarce, the only option is to return to Carenza. But who knows what they'll find seven months after the invasion. Oh yeah, I forgot so much time had passed. <laughs> seven months. Oof. Meanwhile, Katie's cousin, Asha, Woo-hoo! survived the initial... Oh my gosh. We're, we're like geniuses. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> we're so smart. Survived the initial Baytech assault and has joined Carenza's ragtag underground resistance. Mmm. Mmm. When Reese, an old flame from Asha's past, reappears on Carenza, the two find themselves on opposite sides of the conflict. With time running out, a final battle will be waged on land and in space. Heroes will fall and hearts will be broken. So wait, is her her ex-boyfriend a bad guy? Is that what it sounds like? Reese, this new guy? Yeah. He's an old flame from Asha's past. But then didn't it say they're on opposite? What did? What else did it say? Oh, the two finds them. Oh yeah, the two finds. <laughs> Let me just read that. <laughs> Sometimes when Let you're reading, you forget like, to listen. Comprehend this. <laughs> <laughs> the two find themselves on opposite sides of the conflict. So maybe Reese is um, on the side of Beta. That's what I'm thinking. Bytech. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Good. Another complicated character. Other questions I want are: I still have questions about Ezra's mom. And if she ever redeems herself at all or comes around or what it means that her son is out there. And also, who was it that Ella kept, like, leaving video messages for? Her friend, right? Oh. (laughs) I think I missed that part. Wasn't... You know how... Mantis? No, Mantis was the the bi-tech person. He was a space pirate. Yeah, space pirate. Like, whenever she was just, like, talking to the camera for a while, I thought she was, like, leaving video messages for one of her friends or something. Maybe it w- I don't remember who it was. I wonder if we'll see them, though. Those are my last two questions. And we also need to start thinking of a fan name. Oh, yeah. Ooh, this will be fun. So uh, I, th- I thought of one right before we recorded, and I was laughing like a hyena to myself about it. Let me hear it. Um, <laughs> what if we were just meat? Because <laughs> now Aiden always, like, calls humans meat. <laughs> Before we were recording, I was writing down the fan names that we've done so far this season, and then I just wrote, Illuminate Files, meet. (laughs) (laughs) 
We definitely don't have to use it, but it that, that is pretty funny. We let's let's see what we come up with the next two weeks. <laughs> I think we can but, do better, but I I do find it quite funny. Uh, okay, speaking of funny, do you want to tell me a joke? I do, and it also has to do with names, so it's appropriate. Oh, good. What do you call a nervous javelin thrower? <laughs> I don't know what. Shakespeare. <laughs> And I have one more. What do you call two guys sitting on top of a window? I don't know. Kurt and Rod. (laughs) Get it? Kurt and Rod. (laughs) Kurt and Rod. (laughs) I don't know why those were amusing me this week. (laughs) Old Kurt and Rod. (laughs) Good old Kurt and Rod. And I also was just like, why would you call two guys sitting on top of... What does it even mean to sit on top of a window? I don't... (laughs) Why are they doing that? (laughs) What are Kurt and Rod doing up there? Somebody call the police. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back to reading. Okay. Oh, last book in the series. I know. I'm sad. I like this one. I think James would I'm like sad. it too. I'm gonna try and see if he'll read. He'll read one book a season, maybe, <laughs> or one season. That's a, a good goal. <laughs> Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M and K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.